Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MG Rants. I'm Tanner Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Um, I don't know, just not a, a ton going on today, a nice slow day. It's been a pretty busy few weeks, just uh, honestly, just have, having two evenings a week taken up by this softball league has been more than I expected. It's been fun. It's been worthwhile. I'm very but, jealous, by the way. Yeah. The pictures are great. Yeah, that's uh, that's Rob, actually. He just came down to the field and wa- just wanted to take some pictures because, you know, he likes photography and he's fucking good at it. So, yeah, yeah, we were we were glad to have him. He uh, took a few good ones. Mm-hmm. It's now my, my profile picture on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, just real quick to revamp for everybody listening. We're going to be doing our top eight episode for the new set today. And don't forget, we are uh, brought to you by Barrister and Man. But let's 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 go back to the important stuff. Let's yeah. go back to your, your softball league. Well, I mean, it's it's been fun. Our team is is actively not good, uh, and Those so are the we're, best teams to play on, though. Yeah, so we're we're improving, and uh, we had our we've had two games in a row where we didn't get mercy ruled. You've got you got to trust the process, Ross. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm I'm I've taken on a, a bit of a role as coach. Seeing okay. as I'm one of the people that has played a significant amount of organized baseball, and, and you're you know, responsible too. Yeah, <laughs> I can, Ish. I can, I can tell people, you know, you know, in this situation, you're responsible. You should do this, and like, mm-hmm. because that, that's what the the level our team is on. Like, people don't yeah. know that they're supposed to, like, you know, when the shortstop's supposed to cover a second versus the second baseman. Yeah, when there's a ball to the right side, I need you to move here, you to move there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know where exactly to stand. It's it's that classic situation where you tell like okay you go to third base and they go and stand right next to third base and it's like no that that's not where you're supposed to be <laughs> yeah and in softball it's like I forgot do you pl- you do you play in you play in or do you play uh, a little further back do you, I'm trying to remember um I I'm not even sure and technically do, do y'all get a roamer like do y'all get the fourth outfielder yes we get a fourth okay. outfielder okay um and. Uh, who shifts depending on which hand they are. Well, yeah. at least when I tell them to, they do. <laughs> yeah. It's like, look, if they're left-handed, you go into the... It's opposite, okay? Yeah. You go, you go, you go, you go where they're going to pull. Like, you yeah, know, exa- exactly. Or, like, um, and, uh, you know, things like... We've got a, a lot of people that were, you know, uh, uh, slowing up as they got to first base, thinking that they couldn't run through it. You know, little little things like that. So like stopping at first, like stopping yeah, exactly. At first base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, so we're working on it. The team is getting better. The make biggest sure thing you, now. Make sure you tell them never slide into first base, dude. That's yeah, like the easiest. Oh, way to get hurt. no one, no one on our team is sliding except for me. Okay. <laughs> I literally bought pants specifically to play in. So, so if slide. I had to slide, I could. I have not needed to yet. I am. Uh, I'm currently two for three with two walks. And in the co-ed league, if you walk as a guy, you get to take two bases, and then the girl behind you, because it has to alternate, has the option of taking first. Uh, so my two walks were pretty valuable. I, I basically, I have no power. I'm the, I'm the Ichiro of, of you know, low-level softball. I found in softball, you either have no power or all the power. There's like yeah. not a lot of guys that are like, yeah, I spray, you know, whatever now. And it's like, no, I fucking get nukes. <laughs> like, or like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's basically how it works. And yeah. so, yeah, every, every, I'm a pitcher's nightmare in slow pitch softball because my timing is always based on tennis. So I'm literally hitting the ball dead up the middle every time. Yeah, I, I can't even help do. it. Yeah. yeah. You're not even supposed to do that. Yeah. I can't even help it. I'm like trying to not do it. In the very first practice, I hit the the pitcher in the shin, and I, it was a rocket. I got all of this ball. The bruise was dark. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. So uh, I've, I've been trying to not hit everything straight up the middle, but can't help it. 
in fact, my one out I made was literally a line drive at the pitcher that they snared. Yeah. <laughs> so good on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. We got another. We're recording this on a Wednesday for those at home, and the games are Tuesday, Thursday. So I've got another game tomorrow, and we're actually off next Tuesday. Um, so I'll have a little bit more free time wanna, next week. I just want to come up, hang out, and like play on your softball league for like a few days. Well, unfortunately, the roster is already locked. So yeah, it, that and like, let's be real. I would play a game with you, and I wouldn't be able to walk the next day, or like I wouldn't be able to bring <laughs> my arm above my shoulder. You know what I mean? Like I would just like throw my arm out or whatever. Yeah, after the uh, after the first few practices and games, my arm was definitely sore. Yeah. Was throwing that out, and uh, actually, no... good running and bending over, my groin was uh, oh was, yeah, you know, sore. So it's always uh, like you. It's always a groin like the top of your hamstrings, like like up yep. towards your glute. Like yeah, if you're not if you're not moving around enough, like that gets really bad. Yeah, like I could see me showing up and me being like remotely athletic. So you guys would be like, yeah, put him in the infield, you know, blah blah. blah. And like the first ground ball that took a weird hop, I'd be like, I'm done, I'm done. Get me back in the outfield, kind of thing. I'll run everything down, you know, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, so, but you're we're allowed, you play ten people in the field when you include the battery, and it has to be even again by gender identity. And so, you know, we've got a tall guy on first base, to, so he has range to catch. And you generally want to put your strongest people at, you know, shortstop, third base, left field, and left center, right? And we just don't have enough. So it's like, which of those spots are we, are we going to be a little bit weaker in? Um, I was, I was, you know, when I played Little League, I played second base. And my instincts are all still there to play second base. And they ended up putting me at short. Because I, I was just one of the better fielders that we had, and you can and, make the throw, which is important. Yeah, I was, so I was playing back like I would playing second base, and I would field every ball, but I couldn't throw anyone out. Yeah, well, <laughs> and yeah, because like, yeah, shortstop's super important in softball because what people don't get is like in softball you're supposed to pull the ball, like you're not supposed to hit it up the middle, like you're supposed to just try to kill it. And, uh, and I don't just mean that from hitting you. You're literally like there's rules. You're not supposed to hit it back up the middle because you can hurt someone, you can hurt the pitcher, or whatever, blah blah blah. And then. Most people are right-handed, so when they pull the ball, they're pulling it to shortstop, and you have the longest throw in the infield to make. Like, the third base throw is actually shorter and easier because generally the ball gets on you faster instead of they hit it there. So shortstop is actually, like, the premier position. Yeah, and so when I'm playing back, I literally didn't have the arm to throw anyone out. And then I started playing further forward, and then I just didn't have the speed to get to anything. Yeah. <laughs> so You're like Derek I, Jeter over here. I love yeah, that. I'm literally just caught in a catch-22 trying to play shortstop. So they actually tried me at first base yesterday, and I, I bungled the the one catch, I or I guess one of the two catches I needed to make. It was literally, the, for whatever reason, wherever I play, the first play of the game is to me every time. Like I've oh, played, yeah, se- yeah, I played yeah. second base a couple times. First play, to, first ball was to second base from a fucking right hander, and I'm just like, really? Like I yeah. want to get settled into the game a little bit. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's always the first one. And the the in this case, like the, the it was a ground ball to the pitcher, and his throw was way off, and it literally pulled me off the bag. And it was also like a high looper, and so I'm going down the first base line, and I'm trying to watch the ball, but also not get in the runner's way. Right. And then I was thinking, it's like, oh, I'm gonna have to like apply a tag, and I got all of that stuff in my head, and then I just forgot to like you know catch the ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're so it. you're just supposed to react and it's like very hard to do because like people don't believe you know people don't understand that that like first base is actually what, what's the thing you know we'll play first base it'll be easy right wash no it's incredibly difficult or whatever you know for Moneyball or whatever and, yeah uh first base is like the most thinking position besides probably catcher where like you're not just like reacting immediately like you have to know where you need to be on like everything and when you should be fielding the ball and when you shouldn't because if you mess that up it's very obvious <laughs> yeah 
yeah, our first baseman is definitely ranged too far for some balls, and mm-hmm. yeah, so we're getting the little things down. Yeah, um, it'd be better next time. You know, big biggest thing for me now, and I, I told the group this uh, is patience at the plate. You know, where it's a low level league, the pitchers aren't very good, yeah. and you walk on three balls. So, do you play underhanded or overhanded? It's un- underhanded slow right. pitch, and so you just lob. Yeah, yeah, much. yeah. My my running joke when I'm uh, when. I'm on the bench because we, we have to alternate. We have a, a pretty big roster. And my running joke is when we're in the field is uh, I yell at the pitcher, I give him the EFIS. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like one person always gets it and they laugh. <laughs> and then I, we, we share a knowing glance. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the, you know, the, the, the pitchers generally like aren't that consistent. You, you, every count starts one, one essentially. So you, yeah. you get, you're out on two strikes and you walk on three balls. They were and, swinging the bats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and we're just like swinging at every first pitch. Yeah. And I'm like, is this is the major leagues. Like you're, yeah. not, you're not working counts. Like, yeah, you know, literally just yeah. do do not swing at the first pitch. Like watch it, get a feel for like where it's coming in, see it, and then swing at one that looks good, uh, and maybe just take walks. I know it's not exciting, but literally the, our best game so far has been a game where in one inning we put up ten runs, and it's because people stopped swinging the bat so aggressively, and we drew about seven walks that inning. So, yeah. uh, you know. It, it, it's it's not it doesn't feel that exciting when you're taking the walk, but it feels more, a lot more exciting when you see five, six, seven runs cross the plate. I'm very jealous, by the way. I'm like super jealous. The more I listen to you, I think you can see it on my face. I'm like grinning over. Here. <laughs> and I, I miss like the camaraderie. I miss the competition. I'm so jealous. Yeah, there's a they do kickball uh, leagues I, in Roanoke over the guy. over the summer, I'm, and we're we're definitely going to have a team yeah, of I don't know like what it is, but not all, all the magic people. We're going to make a kickball team. That also sounds great. I would be a part of it, but I would begrudgingly be a part of it. I'd be like, I don't know why you don't like kickball. Again? Yeah, Kick, kickball. It's, it's like putting, softball, but with less steps. There's just something about putting on. There's just something about putting on like the baseball pants, the cleats, you know, and getting out there, like getting dirty and playing some ball. You can do that in kickball, Tannen. I I don't, but like I, I no, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> But yeah, you're talking about being busy, man. My last couple of weeks have been very busy, very hectic. Yeah, I feel like we haven't done this in forever. How was uh, how was Vegas? I, I saw they got really, really good attendance numbers, well beyond what anyone was really expecting. Yeah, so that was a big thing, right? Um, so there was like, so it was a, it was a for everybody listening, to, so you can put it in magic terms, it was a Grand Prix, right? It's called the Calling for Flesh and Blood. And, you know, their organized play is the same as Watsi's organized play. Like, there's going to be a bunch of callings feeding into nationals, feeding into a pro tour, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but on Friday, they had the world premiere of the new set. Like, you could go and you could play in this pre-release, plus they're all first edition packs. So every set that comes out in this game, if you buy some of the first packs that come out, they're called first edition. So it's like the beta version of the packs. And then then there's unlimited stuff. Like, they'll, they'll print that as many times as they want. But the first editions are printed, and they're worth more for obvious reasons. And, like, the foiling on it can be different. And you can get a card out of it that's called, like, a fabled, right? Like, it only comes out of, like, one of every, like, bajillion packs or whatever. So, like, three of them got opened up while we were there, and they're worth probably, like, five or $10,000. Jesus. I'm not, jo- I'm not joking on that price. They're worth, like, some absurd amount. Maybe, like, maybe two or 3000 might be better. I don't, I don't remember the exact price, but the person who opened, like, I think two or three got opened. The first person who opened one just started yelling and, like, all the content creators ran over with their cameras, right? So for that quote-unquote like giant pre-release in Vegas, there was 903 people that should have been played, including myself, right? So that was a ton of fun to play. The actual event itself, which I was doing coverage for, had 750 people. Both of these numbers far exceeded, I think, their expectations. 
Um, they were ready for this. It's not like they weren't ready. You know, they had enough judges and stuff. Channel Fireball runs a great event. You know, things like that. Like, they were ready for that kind of stuff. So it was how, great. Did they have enough room to space people out? Absolutely. That was one of the things. Okay, so everyone wore a mask at all times. I, like, almost never saw anyone have to be told, you know, hey, like, put your mask on. I don't think anyone got in trouble. You know, because they said they're like, you get one warning, second warning, you're out. Or whatever. Like, they were serious. Um, you know, the tables that you play on usually... It was like the same kind of tables where they would fit three people, like three matches. You just had somebody on both ends. So you had four people per table instead of six. So you had like a good, you know, you might not have had six feet between you, but you're spaced out and everyone's wearing a mask. You know, so I felt very safe. I like never felt unsafe in any any shape or form, even though I had my mask off quite a bit. But that was only in like our bunker, you know, where we were doing coverage for. And it was like, it was just us. Like even, even you know, Jeff Foster being my director 10 feet away had a mask on the entire time. So I felt really, really safe and stuff the entire time. The actual event itself. So I prepared a lot. I did not get anywhere near the amount of preparedness that I wanted uh, for multiple reasons. A, you know, life happens. B, I got hit by a giant fucking hurricane and lost power for like four or five days. So like, you know, that's why the show has been a little, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little sporadic lately. Yeah. And stuff like that. Sorry, I used all my brain power of, of talking <laughs> over the weekend. And so um, words hard. And so... Um, I will say this, you, you could, you could, if you know me and you know how I speak and stuff, if you, if you watch it very clearly, there's like a round or two, we can tell I speak a little bit less and I speak a little uh, more unsure, especially when like a certain hero came up and I told them ahead of time, I told my coach, I'm like, I don't know anything about this hero. Like, I don't know any of the cards. So like I had, you know, like when we're not on camera, I literally had my iPad in front of me, like cards from the hero. And like, every time they play one, I would just like scroll, try to find the card. You know, I'm like, what does this thing even do? Like, you know, trying to keep up. And, like, they carried me. But then, like, the matchups were, like, the really, uh, like, the the really high-end decks. You know, the ones that I studied. They would come up. You know, I could really hold my own. Plus, I was play-by-play, so they made it really easy. My two co-casters were absolute rock stars. Our production team were absolute rock stars. I think everyone carried really hard in the spots they needed to. Um, I did get mad at myself. Uh, I, um, I got the yips. You know what the yips are, right? Like in golf or whatever, like where you mess up. So, um, and w- what happened, like the yips that I got is for some reason, at some point in time in day one, in one of like the sign offs in the commercial, you know, when you're like you're leaving a match and like, yeah, you know, we'll be right back. I said, you guys don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And obviously I want to use something gender neutral, right? Like it's not the end of the world if I say that phrase, right? You know, I didn't misgender someone, but like you want to be gender neutral, right? Like you want to be like, I want to do that for, for myself as well. Here's the here's the funny part though, Ross. I don't say that phrase. Like I, I don't say you guys like normally, right? Yeah, and I don't like, think I've ever heard you say ex- it. exactly. So like I took my headset off and I did the bleh, like you know like the the vomit thing and like I don't remember who was sitting next to me. They were just like, "What's up?" And I was like, "I said you guys." And they're like, "Oh, don't worry about it. It won't be that big of a deal." And Jeff overheard me. He's like, "Yeah, just don't do it again." And I was like, "Yeah, I won't. I don't I don't ever say that." But I got the yips and I said it again. At some point in time of the weekend, and I, like, threw my headset off, and I was like, what the hell? Like, you know, so, like, it was just in my head now, you know, kind of thing. But um, overall, it was really great. Uh, the competition was awesome. The decks were cool. Uh, the deck that I talked about being really good going in was, like, 44% of day two, and was five of the top eight decks and stuff. So, uh, and stuff. So, like, it got, you know, really kind of crazy and stuff. So, so Sounds really like you did enough preparation then. <laughs> oh yeah like i was i was good to go like i knew you know 90 something percent of the cards in that hero like you know a card would come up every now and then like i remember one of the cards it's like 
it's like a demigon. I think I said demigorgon like once or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like I would like mispronounce something or like whatever. But I think overall it was good. I will say this. And I, you know, I know that I know they're being nice or whatever, but I had a, you know, like on Twitter, when you get a message from someone you're not following, it goes into like your little inbox and you have to go physically find it or whatever. So I saw that I got one of those messages. The creator of flesh and blood messaged me over the weekend. It was like, Hey, really good job. I really appreciate the work y'all are doing. And I was like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. Yeah. That's a pretty good um, sign. So one more thing before we get into today, because this is the crazy story and I hope everyone uh, catches this. I know some people skip this, so hopefully Brent puts it in the notes. There was one really crazy thing that happened this weekend in Vegas, and I have to share the story, and I'll even send you the photo that I have later if you want to see this. So I think it was Friday night. I'm staying there with uh, Jonathan Job and Brian Masoko. Jonathan Job has some pull in Las Vegas for people who don't know, right? You know, we've been there for a long time. He has some pull. So he pulls some string with, with his host one night, and he gets his reservations for like 9 o'clock at uh, like an Amalfi which is like the brand new Bobby Flay restaurant, right? So uh, I'm not going to say numbers, but the bill for just me, Job, and Basoko was astronomical. Okay. I'm assuming this is an upscale Italian restaurant based on the name? M- mostly. It's it's like a, yeah, but they did it with all fish. Like a fish were yeah, most of like it's almost a, everything. It's, it's the Amalfi, Amalfi Coast. Coast. They, it's a yeah. bunch, of, bunch of seafood. So our, our dinner was, um, we had like two appetizers. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It was like one squid appetizer. And then I think it was like uh, squid ink pasta with some like shrimp and some other stuff. Then we had, um, what was the name of the fish? Oh my God. Uh, we had turbo, which like I'd almost never see on menus, right? Yeah. And you know, it's literally like, if you want to, you could walk up and pick the damn fish. You're like, I want that one. Like they have them out like on ice and stuff, right? So it was that with some potatoes on the side. And like, you, like we, we asked our, our waitress was like the nuts, you know, she was, like, walking. Because, like, we were all thinking about what we were going to get. She's like, no, no, you family style here. Our stuff is not small. Like, blah, blah, blah. We're like, okay. So, the potatoes. Like, if Brian Masoka is listening to this, he understands. They were, I, they've run me for all potatoes in the history of mankind. Like, all this stuff was literally, like, the best version of these things I've ever had. And then we had two desserts where we had, like, a blueberry, like, custard kind of dessert. Because we needed something without dairy. And then we had, like, a pistachio ice cream sundae. Which, like, I also ended up eating too much of because it was just so, like... Easily top three meal of my lifetime. Easily, right? I love pistachio ice cream. Here, here, Exactly, I knew you would love this. Here's why the story gets crazy. You know a restaurant is going to be banging, like just unreal, when we sit down, and as I'm like, you know, getting situated, I look over my shoulder, guess who's sitting at the table right behind us? Um, You're actually going to guess. Okay, I like this. Remember, this is Bobby um, Flay's restaurant. Yeah, not yeah. Bobby Flay. So I'm thinking like another you, Food Network person. I'll you, yes, like I'll give you a Giada? hint. I'll give you a hint. I got yelled at. Is it Gordon? Yeah, Gordon Ramsay yelled at me in this restaurant. I swear to God. Weirdest moment <laughs> of life. I got yelled at by Gordon Ramsay because I snuck a picture before he realized. So I have this like kind of blurry picture, but you could tell that's fucking Gordon Ramsay sitting like five feet from me. But then like... I'm sending the picture to, like, you know, Natalie, and she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, show, like, show me the picture. And I turned, and I had the phone in my hand, and him and the guy at the table were just like, hey, no pictures. And I was like, oh, my bad, dude. Like, you know, he turned around, like, or whatever. But I was like, dude, I already got the picture. But I was just like, holy shit, you know this restaurant's going to be, like, fire when Gordon Ramsay is, like, just chilling right there. Like, everybody walked by. You could tell where they were, like, peeking over and stuff, and, like, or, like, the jaw would drop. Like, I'm pretty sure some of the Golden Knights, like, some athletes are at a table, like, over to the side of us, too. Like, these dudes, like, the size of them were like they were like very large human beings but you could tell they were like still 
they could still be like their movement. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you see an athlete, and they're just built differently. Yeah. They're not just like a guy that goes to the gym and gets jacked every day. Yeah, they, they, they move with a grace that regular people don't have. But they have fucking tree trunks for legs. Like, their legs were just like, like, I was like, dude, if that guy moves too fast, his pants are going to, like, explode. Yeah, they you look know, gigantic, but move like a deer. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was like, this guy would outrun me, and I used to be a sprinter, and he's like, a hundred, he's got like a hundred pounds of muscle on me. Like, muscle, you know, kind of thing. So, that was just a really crazy night, ton of fun. Um... All of us were exhausted when we got to the when we got to the restaurant. In fact, like we almost thought about like canceling, but he pulled strings to get it. So we were like, "All right, we'll go." And it like literally br- like breathed life into us. It was that good of a meal. Like we were like smiling and having a good time because it was just honestly one of the best meals we ever had. And if I actually had to pay for it, I would still run it back. Like it's that good. It was you know, and we had a couple other really really good meals as well, but nothing will compare to that one. That was the best meal I've had in a long time. Yeah, I'm looking at the menu right now. Yeah, Not exactly. Sure. I, I was wondering if you were typing, but again, <laughs> dude, it's, it's also it's also one of my favorite types of things. When you ever go to those restaurants, the menus are like very simple, and oh, like, yeah. you know they're gonna like. It's like, look, we only have these things, but we like there are every one of them's an A plus. Like we crush everything on this menu, you know, kind of thing. All right, everybody tuned in to hear us talk about magic. Let's talk about some magic. Uh, yeah, sure. I guess we could do that. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about this new set. Um, so this is going to be our top eight for Inistrad. What is the actual name of the set? I literally just blanked. It's uh, Inistrad Midnight Hunt. Yeah, I was about to say uh, something like that. So Inistrad Midnight Hunt. This is going to be our top eight. We're also going to have overrated, underrated. And like we might even talk about a few other cards because we didn't get to talk about the whole spoiler like we normally do. And I will say this. I don't know about you, Ross, but this is one of the harder ones I've ever done for literally everything. For like overrated, underrated, one through eight. Like there, Because there's no super standout card, right? There's no card that says, like, there's there's not a ton that are like, hey, build around me. But there's a ton of really, really, really solid cards that could make it into here or there. So, like, with my list in mind, I kind of did the, where do I think, you know, either these cards are exceptionally good and 100% going to be staples, or they're just good enough across multiple formats for them to show up on my list. Yeah, it's, it's one of those sets where I think context is going to matter a lot. You know, which of these decks or which of these cards finds the right home and some of them will you know end up not seeing a lot of play because they don't find the right home and right now it's really difficult to make that judgment because it's the smallest standard's going to be we have to completely reevaluate the format now that you know the most powerful sets on the previous standard are all rotating and so the, the context is changing more than i can remember in the last five years um as far as standard is going and then uh, to also consider the impact in older formats. It's a, yeah, this was definitely a tough set to think about. And I agree with you. I think there's maybe 20 cards in the set that could reasonably be in a top eight list. Uh, and so narrowing it down to eight was, a uh, was a, a tough task. Yeah. And speaking of that, let's go ahead and start with my number eight, because it's a card that I like, and I know that you like, and it just narrowly missed your list, I believe. And my number eight is Graveyard Trespasser. Yeah, this was gonna. This was my number nine. Um, I talked about it uh, on our uh, most recent show, and back you know a couple weeks ago, we didn't have very many cards, and that card um, from what we had really jumped out of the page, uh, jumped off the page at me. Just a lot of good text on it. Yeah, reasonable stats. Ward discard a card is is a pretty big deal. Let me let me read the card for everybody at home real quick yeah. before you, you talk about more. So the the front half of this because this is a day bound night bound card is 
200 black for a human werewolf. It's a 3-3 with ward, discard a card. Uh, whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you can exile up to one target card from a graveyard. If a creature card was exiled this way, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. That's the daybound side. The nightbound side also has uh, a ward. And then the abilities go to where you can exile up to two cards from their graveyards instead. And then for each creature card exiled this way, your opponent loses one life and you gain one life. And it's a 4-4. Four, four. So jumps off the page, like you said. A lot of great stats, a lot of great text. I think what you were talking about and I were talking about is like, this card's going to come down to like contextualism, right? Like where it can possibly fit. Yeah, and the awkwardness in it is that it, I think it wants to be in an aggressive shell, but with the tribal themes that exist, it's not a zombie, it's not a vampire, and that's going to take a lot of the black aggressive cards away. It's hard to play Champion of the Perished, which is probably the best black one drop available and this card in the same deck. So then do you play in a mid-range deck? What does that deck even look like? It could just um, be a really good sideboard card too, yeah. which makes it, you know, sh- should not maybe not even been on the list. Yeah. It, and I've tried to build some mid-range decks, but honestly, I found that the black removal is pretty lacking. Notably, mm-hmm. Power Word Kill is a pile of shit because it doesn't <laughs> kill Goldspan Dragon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you, you can't play that many Infernal Grass. Blood Chief Service is solid. Uh, but no Heartless Act, no Eliminate, um, and, and those are pretty big losses in terms of Black Disruption. So, You know, if what you just said, it actually made me think about this, and we'll have to see what ends up working out, but, like, if you want to control people in this format and, like, you know, like you know, you want to remove a bunch of their stuff, with the way some of the threats are lining up and the value they get when they're coming into play or when you target them, it might be that it, it might be best for you to fight on the stack in this format. We'll have to see. Fighting on the stack does run into issues if your opponents are playing a lot of werewolves, right? Exactly. Because then you're you're yep. making it night for them. So so maybe blue-black where you can do a little bit of both or something. I tried a list like that on Versus. It was a Delver deck. It played this. Uh, so it was, it was Delver, uh, Suspicious Stowaway. Uh, um, uh, what's the name of this card? It's uh, something Trespasser. <laughs> literally the card we're talking about uh graveyard graveyard trespasser there we go and then uh a couple ebon deaths is a flash threat so you could play a graveyard trespasser on three and then pass the turn and i was holding up counter spell or ebon death or um memory deluge the card draw spells so you had all these different ways to uh to get it to night easily and it just didn't really work that well because the the disruption wasn't good enough so i've been down on black as a color just because i think it, it has worse removal than red and even white um, you yeah, know. but that's body not being like it's not yeah. very good defensively is a big like you can't flash it and block and have it survive is like a big thing too. It's like well, you, you can't even block it entry tapped. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Of so course, even like, if you yeah. wanted to, yeah, and just get a trade off of it, you can't even do that. So yeah, that, that, you know, maybe the deck w- was misbuilt in in other ways. I think a, and a threat at the top end that could play some defense would have really helped me. Um, but right now, I'm I'm you know. I don't like to just evaluate these cards off of how they're going to do in the first three months. Uh, but I presume that over the you know, two years in standard that Graveyard Trespasser will find a good home. It might, it just might take a while, but the, the card is just really good. And like, yeah, I said, if it's going to fit best in an aggressive deck, but it can definitely be put into a, you know, a more mid range deck as well and be perfectly fine. Uh, you know, this is going to be a graveyard, uh, you know, centric couple sets so that you know main deck graveyard hate is going to be valuable the life gain is valuable it hits really hard if your opponent stumbles but it can still play defense 
it has reasonable stats, but also is difficult to remove with just a kill spell because of the ward ability. So there's just a lot to like here, uh, and it's just a solid card. So it doesn't really need to have a home built around it. It just needs to have a home in its colors. So there just needs to be like a good aggressive black deck that isn't tribal or a good mid-range black deck, and it should be able to find a home there. So um, I'm a little bit more down on it than I was a couple weeks ago, but still pretty high on it, so not surprised to see it make your list. Right, and uh, your number eight is a card that I'm pretty high on, and I think that we're definitely going to see. This is like, the I think, the layup of all picks, or one of the layups <laughs> of all picks of this set. And this one is Play With Fire. It's one red mana instant. Uh, it's Shock. It deals two damage to any target. But if a player was dealt damage this way, you get to scry one. Yeah, um, so I expect the card to see a significant amount of play in Standard. There's a lot of you know spells master decks that are interested in a cheap spell like this. Red ag- red aggressive decks are going to really like having a card like this. And while I might be wor- or might have previously been worried about frostbite really cutting into play with fire's playability, um, I'm way lower on snow in general because we no longer have fabled passage in the format. And Fable Passage is sort of an honorary snow land because of its ability to just find a basic. Yeah, it and means so, that you can't play multicolored snow decks as much, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be really hard. Like, it makes it harder, know, yeah, for sure. Like, really difficult to play a multi, like a two-color deck. Are you, you're going to have to play like four of your ETB tap land and four pathways and, and then just yeah. basics. Yeah, yeah, it's gross. So, yeah. And even, mono, even monocolored decks, um, you know, they can go for snow with Faceless Haven or I can be mono red with Den of the Bugbear, or you know mono green with Lair of the Hydra, and play more modal double face cards. Like I, you know, I love me the Shadow Skull Smashing. I think Spikefield Hazard could be good in this format. Um, and you don't randomly run into the white deck running Redane and get like random hate thrown into you too, yeah. like, just in case. You know, like so, so. There's there's some interesting like dichotomy there like which way do you want to go yeah for yeah. sure I, I think overall i'm favoring the non-snow side of things so i expect play of the fire to see play in standard i don't think it's going to be the premier red removal spell i think dragon's fire is going to take that spot just because of its ability to kill three and four mana creatures but play with fire will either be you know main deck card in more aggressive decks because it can go upstairs or it'll be a good sideboard card in more controlling decks maybe a couple copies in the main if the format's particularly aggressive you know you just massage the numbers there a little bit and um you know as the metagame shifts but it's also i expect uh i'm also expecting it to effectively supplant wild slash uh you know as and i think the the decks in pioneer even play like one shock in the burn deck now you can play one wild slash and play with fire uh you know just the burn deck is going to get that scry one a lot and it's going to be very valuable to them so not not a huge upgrade but certainly an upgrade and I factor that into, you know, how how the card makes the list. And honestly, if the Scry 1 ends up being really valuable, I could see playing it in Modern. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Shock is not that exciting in Modern, to, uh, but it still kills Ragavans just like Lightning Bolt does, and uh, unlike Rift Bolt does. Any, anything to get fucking Rift Bolt out of that deck, <laughs> I would love. So uh, I, I would try it if I were a Modern Burn player. I would try playing Play With Fire and see how often that scry comes up and how relevant it is because the consistency redraws finding that third land or that second land even, or finding, um, you know, the, the last burn spell to kill them uh, is often more valuable than the extra damage. So uh, I'm, I'm in with for play with fire. I think it has potential multi-format playability 
Um, and that's, you know, whenever that happens, it's easy to make the list. Yep. Absolutely. And speaking of making the list twice, you and I have the same number seven here. So let's go ahead and just talk about that one. That is faithful mending for everybody at home. This is a white blue instant. You gain two life, draw two cards, then discard two cards, flashback, one white blue. Now, this card almost made my list differently. It almost made my list as most overrated card because I feel like the people who like it think it's the best card in the format, and then some people think it's complete garbage. So it's kind of interesting and stuff there. For me, you know, obviously this card, you look at it, you think uh, Faithless Wooding, right? This, this, is, this is not that. You know, yeah. one mana versus two is... I've talked about this a lot on the show, and I know it doesn't add up math-wise, but the difference between one and two in Magic is the biggest difference in, like, the you know, from two to three, three to four, four it, it, or zero to one. I think one to two is the biggest difference in Magic. Okay, and zero to one is the biggest difference. Come on. It just doesn't yeah, come up that often. It does, it does, it's not relevant outside of, yeah. like, vintage and stuff. And you know what I mean? So, like, this is the biggest difference in Magic. So, like, when you go from a one drop to a two drop, and we've seen this the other way around, right? You remember, remember when I talked about how, like, Remember when I kind of called village rights a little bit? I was like, this is the first time we've ever had this in one mana. And if like if this is relevant, this card's going to be very good. It ended, up, it ended up being a thing. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, one mana is so much different than two at like Alter's Reap. You know, and stuff like that. So this is a big thing for us. I got to say, I think this has a chance to go way up. I think it has a chance to go way down. It depends on if you find a good deck with a good home for it. The problem is it being blue-white kind of makes that weird, right? Yeah, I think people really, um, they've started to overestimate what Faithless Looting is. And Faithless Looting fills a very specific role in decks where it, you know, and it, it is an enabler for graveyard synergies that is more efficient than any other enabler ever printed. And not, and not just being man efficient, but also being that single color. You know, if you if this was one and a blue, that's a huge difference than blue and white. Uh, it makes it much more difficult to fit into decks that uh, would want it, but you just have trouble consistently casting it. You know, Faithless Looting being a single red, uh, you know, let it fit into a wide range of decks, which is part of the reason you saw it in a lot of different decks during its time in modern. Then the extra you add on the extra mana. You know, I've heard people talk about this being an instant means that you could put it into a control deck. Faithless Looting or, or Faithful Mending, these are not value cards. You're actually down a card when you cast it, all, all said and done. Yeah, you can only discard flashback cards, but it ends up being an inefficient way of sometimes generating card advantage when you can obvi- you know, you know can do it in a much more straightforward and consistent way. And so it's really been the enabling of you know busted graveyard decks that Faithless Looting shined in, and... Uh, the faithful mending is going to have a much more difficult time shining in with one exception. And it's why the card makes my list. Uh, and that is dredge. I think dredge has the capability of utilizing this card really effectively. Even if you have to stretch your mana, um, because even at two mana, it's very explosive. I think it's better than playing more copies of cathartic reunion. I think it, uh, and in particular, because it's a card that you can cast from the graveyard, you know, when you're mulliganing so aggressively with your dredge deck, you end up with four or five cards. It's hard to cast that second cathartic reunion. Sometimes you don't even have it uh, because you're so far down on cards. So being able to dredge into the thing that keeps you going is super important. And, and I think you can adjust the mana base accordingly to cast it with reasonable consistency, especially with life from the loan being able to serve as a pseudo mana fixer for your third land. So I expect the card to be a boost to dredge it in modern. 
Um, I expect there to be some potential with like unburial rights in other formats. That's the other place I see it. You know, setting up unburial rights in, um, I guess, is unburial rights in Pioneer? I don't think it is. I think it is. Is it? Because it's in Historic. Well, that's so not, let me, that's, let me. I don't know. Anyway, one thing that I was going to say is, also, I like the fact that its flashback is very aggressively costed. Its card costs uh, one white, one blue, and the flashback is one white blue. So you go from two mana to three mana, and that's a big thing, right? Because like you want to be able to like curve out with your cards, and a lot of flashback cards, you see a pretty big difference, right? You know, if it's like if it's a two drop, then generally it's like four, or five, or six mana to bring it back. If it's like, you know, what I'm saying you're generally looking at two to three more mana instead of one. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's not legal in Pioneer. It is legal okay. in Historic. Actually, as soon as I said yes, I was like, I think I'm wrong, but it is legal and historic. It's, t- it's time for your favorite game at home. Is this card legal in this set you know, or in this game? So th- that's a potential avenue you can you can explore in historic. You can play memory lapse in a deck like that, and you're holding up either your enabler or a counterspell to interact, and then you just sort of play combo control. I know I said this card doesn't you know fit into a control deck, but combo control is different. Uh, it could fit into an archetype like that. Um, I'd be interested in... Espergorios in Modern, uh, which is a deck I've always liked but has never really been good enough. But Deluge definitely seems like a, or not to, um, Faithful Landing seems like a good addition there. So there's some other interesting applications here. I don't expect it to show up in Standard, but I certainly expect it to show up in Modern, at least in Dredge. And then there's some other interesting applications. So sure. uh, it makes the back end of the list. All right, cool. What is your number six? My number six is Bloodthirsty Adversary. So part of that whole cycle, this is the red one. So it's one in red for a 2-2. It's a vampire. It has haste. Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, you can pay two in a red any number of times. For each time you do it, put that many plus, or put that many plus and plus one counters on uh, Bloodthirsty Adversary. And for each time you pay it, you get to exile a, an instant or sorcery with uh, mana value three or less from your graveyard. And you can uh, cast that spell. Does it give you until end of turn? Or do you have to cast it immediately? Let me read it real quick. Yeah, uh, I was going off memory. I wasn't even reading. So when you yeah, you copy them and cast them immediately without paying the yeah. You cost. have to cast them immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but just a very solid aggressive creature. I think this is the premier red two drop in standard. Uh, and I do think you know just aggressive red decks got a huge boost from this set. Uh, the card red plays is the well. biggest winner for sure. I think yeah. out of the set, yeah. Card plays well with play with fire, with royal eruption, with um, uh, magic missile, uh, another a good burn spell. So, um, you know, the, just as a two mana two two haste, that's fine. It's not exciting, but it is also a vampire if you're building tri- around tribal. Um, but the flexibility of, of this kicker being a five mana three three haste that you know dome something for three when it enters the battlefield or dome something for two, or dome them for two and scries, uh, you know, casting magic missile and dealing, you know, three divides you choose is awesome. Um, you know, being able to then keep your curve low as an aggro deck, make sure you're consistently coming out of the gates quickly, but also have some powerful late game punch. Really, really nice card for aggressive decks. I just think easily the best of the cycle of adversaries. Um, and it's a cycle of, of pretty solid cards, but I think this one is head and shoulders above the other four. Uh, in yeah. what it can do, and definitely going to be a player in red decks and standard, and and one of the cards that puts them back on the map because they've been really struggling in the world of uh, you know Bone Crusher Giant and Lovestruck Beast, and now that they don't have to deal with those cards, um, you know mucking up their early creatures, 
they can uh, get back to doing what they do best. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this card more in this later for me. I have it a little higher in my list, but I will say this. If, if this card really is like one of the more premier cards, which I think it will be, and if like the red decks are very, very good, this is another card that's going to make Graveyard Trespasser better. Because that card's just going to be very, very good against the red decks, being a 3-3 three, three on one side, a 4-4 four, four on the other side. The ward is discard a card, and then it has, you know, main deck like, just, you don't even have to get a, yeah, yeah, you can get a creature and gain some life against the red deck, but like taking their spells out of the yard too. Yeah. So they don't get this like insulary value from their bloodthirsty adversary because they're going to try to curve out. They're going to like, you know, play something, play a spell somewhere, play a three drop, whatever, play a four drop, play this on five to attack you for a ton, you know? And then the flexibility of being able to play it on turn two is just a two, two in some matchups where you really need to is, is a big thing as well. Yeah. It's a great card of helping you curve out. And that's what red decks need to do. Um, yep. Simple as that. <laughs> that was your number six, right? So yeah. my number six is also a red card. And as you and I said, I think red got the, a huge boost from this. This one is Reckless Stormseeker. I'm a big fan of this card. It's two and a red for a 2-3 human werewolf. At the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gets plus one plus zero and gains haste until long turn. That's the day bound side. The back end is a 3-4 that has the same ability, so it gets plus two plus zero, uh, haste and trample. Until oh, and, and that's trample. A, that's and a, that's trample. a difference. So, so. That's a, yeah. That's a big thing. So the back end of this is extremely aggressive. Well, the front end of it is just like normally aggressive, right? Trample yeah. is a big thing. You can no longer chump block out of these decks. Giving like just playing this as a five four haste trample in some matchups is a big deal as well. This is one of the cards that it's going to play in some situations a lot like Hazaret did, where you're like trying to maneuver the game in a way that like. When they have the requisite mana for this, you're trying to do that. Plus, this makes all of your other creatures better, right? Like, if you play this on turn three, and it's just a 3-3 three, three haster, gets in some damage, they have to respect this card, because now your next creature also has haste and gets pumped, right? So, like, that's a big deal. Yeah, 3-mana th 3-3 three 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 haste is usually close to playable in standard, yeah, but like not limited quite. standout. Yeah, limited yeah. standout, close enough for, for standard. Yeah. This is a significant upgrade on that. It doesn't might not seem like it, but being a 3-3 three, three haste itself, and then whether or not it's attacking and blocking, to be able to give your neck your follow-up creature haste, and then the creature after that haste, that is so much extra damage that this card is generating for you over the course of a game. Um, and so it's really going to put your opponent under a ton of pressure. I haven't played with it a ton yet, but from what I've what I've seen of it, I've been very, very impressed. I think this was another card that's a staple of red decks. Unless they're a red deck that is built super heavy on burn with like Flame Channeler, which I think is a direction you could go. Um, but if, if you have a decent number of creatures, as most typical red aggressive decks do, Reckless Storm Seeker is, I think, a near auto-include. And then on top of that, you know, being two colorless and only one colored mana in the uh, mana cost... Being only a single red, yeah. Yeah. Now now you can start thinking about playing it with green cards, with the bigger creatures, and maxing out the damage that it can deal. And I know, you know, when we, early on in the previous season, we were getting a lot of the werewolves, um, and especially the gold ones, and I was super excited by Tovalar, Dire Overlord, and that's the the three-drop uh, grill one that says, whenever a wolf or werewolf you control does combat damage to a player, you draw a card. It does some other things, but that's the, the exciting part. And I just thought about curving Werewolf Pack Leader into Tovalar and immediately drawing a card. Well, if you play Werewolf Pack Leader into Reckless Stormseeker, you also get to immediately draw a card because you're triggering pack tactics. Uh, yeah. So you're drawing it off the Pack Leader instead, but you're also dealing an extra three damage. 
and you know you're giving your next incredible uh you know play say your four drop is a zika's chariot now you play chariot you crew it with the cats you give the chariot haste you attack now for 10 and you make another cat and so now you've dealt 16 damage um right over the course by turn four your opponent's at four life. You have three cats and a Zeke's Chariot, a Reckless Storm Seeker, and a Werewolf Pack Leader, and you've drawn two extra cards. That's your two, three, four curve. And that kind of stuff, I think, for an aggressive gruel deck is going to be incredible. I think, um, you know, this card just plays so well in so many different, uh, places. I can also see it seeing play in gruel aggressive decks in Pioneer or Historic, like just playing it on turn two off of Lanowar Elves, and suddenly you're sort of, it's like playing Fire of Maya. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right like it's a fire of Maya that kind of attacks uh, uh for three and then and then two on each successive turn and now this is that's not even taking into account the the night bound side you know what happens yeah, if you ever get to night uh and suddenly you're giving trample to big creatures so i think this is just a premier aggressive creature uh in standard and good enough that it's not going to break into modern you know being a three drop that dies to a lightning bolt and doesn't put you under a ton of pressure uh, but I could see it breaking into historic or pioneer, and I think it's going to be a staple in standard. Yeah, absolutely. I, you kind of like stole my thunder on the last point that I was going to make is that it, it being single red, I thought it was going to play really well with green decks, and like I didn't really think about it in the essence of if it sticks around and you get to play cherry at the turn after that is just kind of unreal. Yeah, yeah. that's that's not fair. <laughs> that's like that's like one. That's going to be like the best aggressive curve that doesn't involve like going one, two, three, four, you know, kind of thing that's in standard. There's another four drop on my list later that it'll also be good with. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, yeah. So that was your number six and my number six, right? So we're both on a number five now. Cause I think we have the same number five as well. Mine is memory deluge. Yeah. This is also my number five. So everybody at home, this is two blue, blue for an instant. Uh, look at the top X cards of your library where X is the amount of mana spent to cast this spell, put two of them into your hand, and the rest of the bottom of your library in a random order. And the flashback is five blue blue. So when you flash this back, you look at the top seven. It's dig through time. You look at the top seven, put two cards in your hand. Now, this kind of harkens back to cards in the, you know, back in the day where you pay four mana and draw three cards, or pay four mana, scry four, draw two cards. And the card was like, con, what was, it wasn't consider. It was like careful consideration, or there's something similar. No, no. This. 4C was the sorcery. 4C. Scry and this four, is a card draw two. That, yeah, this is a card that made it into a lot of decks back in the day. Now, this is an instant speed version of the card that also has flashback. So, if there is a premier control deck in this format or a deck that wants to, say, go a lot and hold up its mana to do stuff, especially on turn four, this card's going to be very, very good. Now, it is going to be fighting this spot for a few other cards that are, like, you know, the draw card spells at four that also have foretell and stuff like that. Uh, so, we'll have to see what goes on there. But... I think Memory Deluge has a chance to be a real shining star in those kind of decks because it just sees so many cards over the span of the game, and the flashback really pushes it over the top. Yeah, you know the cards I really compare it to are Behold the Multiverse and Glimmer of Genius because the front half is very similar, though it is actually a little bit better because you get to look at all four cards first and decide which two you want with perfect information as opposed to just looking at the top two and then taking your chances uh, just based off of seeing the first half of them. Um, and then obviously you get the flashback on top of it. So these cards, you know, Glimmer of Genius saw a lot of play, but that's because control decks ended up being pretty good around that time. Uh, a lot of that had to do with the power of Torrential Gear Hulk and some of the other elements that they had available. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the strength of this card is going to rely a bit on the strength of control decks, but I think it is a shoe-in for basically any blue control deck 
I think the Is It Dragon's deck will want a couple copies of it. You know, you, you don't play a ton of a ton of copies of these four mana draw spells right now in standard because there's just so much pressure being applied to you. Uh, you might be able to fit in a few more in a smaller format that's going to be slower uh, and a little bit less powerful. That said, the the brilliance of this is that you don't actually need that many copies of this card for it no, to be no, really no. effective. Like the first copy is two cards. You get the the four mana version and the seven mana version. So. I like playing only two. I'm like happy to play two, maybe three in my decks and just go from there and uh, and have, a, you know, a really powerful card draw spell in small numbers that is, you know, if you get to the late game, it's going to lock up the game most of the time. So I expect it to be a staple there. And then the reason it's a little bit higher on my list is I also think the card could break into modern in combination with, with Wilderness Reclamation. Ooh, right that's now, a good, really good point. Right now, those decks are playing Factor Fiction as their mm-hmm. sort of four mana draw spell. I could see this one being better than that. Uh, you know, f- just straight up at four mana, it's worse. Factor Fiction Obviously, is better, yeah, yeah. but the benefit of that flashback once you have Reclamation going, getting that uh, really big draw um, and and finding the cards you need, really important because oftentimes that's what's going on with those rec decks. They have a ton of mana and it's they're under probably a bit of pressure and they just need to find the card they need to stabilize. And once they do, they're so far ahead on resources, winning the game is academic. So I think yeah. the flashback could be really valuable to those decks and you could see it break into modern. So the, the dual format potential is why it's a little bit higher on my list. And I, I'm, I think it's a shoe in for, for control decks. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure uh, Shaheen Sarani was a big fan reading this one. Yeah, he did probably need a new pair of pants after reading this one. But, like, yeah, you, you kind of hit on the point that that I wanted to make where the first time you cast this card, it's pretty good, right? Like, it's, it's a good filler. You know, the first turn where they don't do something, you get to do this. Or if they're, like, trying to flip a werewolf, you get to have a, an instant during their turn. You'd be like, hey, like, I played a spell. We can't flip, whatever, blah, 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 right? That's good. If you get to flash this back, this is game-breaking. The first chance you get, like, later in the game, you're making all your land drops. You know, this is a good discard spell if you have to have, if I mean, spell to discard if you have to get some value off something earlier in the game. You know, something like the card, you know, the both of us had is in Faithful Mending. You know, if that was a thing that randomly somehow makes it into your control decks, I don't see why it would, but like blah, blah, blah. But if you get to the point where you get to cast this card and you're not dead already, you probably should be winning the <laughs> yeah. game. And like you, you can surveil it into your graveyard with Consider. Yep. And yeah. then just lots, have that in your things. back pocket, yeah. uh, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a good card. Yeah, absolutely. All right, what was your number four? My number four is Briarbridge Tracker. So the callback to Tireless Tracker, it's a two and a green for a two, three with Vigilance. It gets plus two, plus O if you control a token. And when it enters the battlefield, you investigate. It is a wolf, so it fits that tribe. Um, uh, it's not It's not a wolf, by the way. It's, it's not a, a human scout. Oh, it's the one that's not a wolf. It's, uh, it's the adversary's scout. a wolf. My bad. Yes. Yeah. Um, whatever. So that, that sure. would have been a minor point anyway. Yeah. Uh, I actually wrote my article this week uh, on this card, so that's on Star City Games right now. Well, hopefully you didn't call it a wolf in the article. <laughs> mm, I did not, I'm sure. Okay. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty previous season. You got things wrong. Yeah. And uh, the big thing for me about this card, I mean, we've talked a lot about context. You know, the this card plays incredibly well with Zika's Chariot. And the focus of my article was on that particular pairing and not just Briarbridge Tracker by itself. You know, it is a four-power creature. It can crew the chariot alone if, you, if it needs to. The um, the chariot makes tokens so that you can crack the clue and not lose that power bonus. Uh, so you just have the cat tokens around. And if you do keep the clue around, you can now make clues with Azika's chariot instead of making more cats, 
which in control matchups is incredibly valuable because it doesn't put all of your eggs into one basket that can be undone by a sweeper. Uh, you still have that card advantage that you've generated and you're able to grind through their sweepers more effectively. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good green three drops available in this standard format. There's Brybridge Tracker, there's Kazandu Mammoth, there's Old Growth Troll, there Augur is of Autumn, if you want to go Augur of Autumn, line. there's Primal Adversary. Yeah. So a ton of good green three drops. I think this one has such a high floor. You know, three mana, four, three. It draws a card every time. It plays offense and defense because of Vigilance. Uh, the stats are great. And the fact that it plays so well with Ezekiel's Chariot means this is the one I'm always looking to first, almost regardless of, of what kind of deck I'm playing. Because it can fit into aggressive decks. It can fit into mid-range decks, uh, you know, of all stripes. So it just is so seamless. It doesn't re- really, it doesn't require you to do anything to make it good. Um because, you know, when you're playing it on turn three, you're often not cracking the clue immediately. Like, you're looking to curve out, you're doing other things, unloading your hand. So you're going to make them deal with the tracker first a lot of the time before you're cracking the clue. So I'm not worried too often about losing that bonus. I think so much of the time it's just going to be three mana, four, three, Vig. Later in the game, I draw a card. And, you know, it, it just asks so little of you. And I love cards like that, especially when you can then get even more out of them when you 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 find the right synergies and that synergy with the Zika's Chariot, you know, those are two great standalone cards that when paired together just give you com- almost complete control over the game. You're able to do so many different things. You're able to crew and attack in, in different ways, so it's hard to play defense against you. You're able to play defense with them, so it's hard to play offense against you. You're able to insulate yourself from removal of all different stripes uh, and, uh, you know, by making clues or not even crewing the Chariot if they're holding up removal and just put applying pressure with the other creatures. And so it just gives you so much optionality. This is a card that I think is, you know, it it is the best of that, you know, great group of cards. I think Augur Vodum could see play. I think Primal Adversary can see play. Xandu Mammoth, I think, takes a little bit of a hit without the pairing with both um, Fable Passage and with the Great Henge. Uh, I think that was a, that was a big draw to, to Xandu Mammoth. So I think that one's a little bit lower in my rankings of, you know, green three drops. But Briarbridge Tracker, uh, no matter what I'm doing, I'm interested in this card. And so I expect it to see the most play of all of them, and that's why you find it pretty high on my list. I'm not so sure on that one, so we'll see. Uh, My number four is a card that I know you were kind of interested in, and I like this one a lot. And I'm seeing that I like it a lot more than most people. And this one is Moonvale Regent. And this is the uh, four mana, so three and a red, four, four dragon that has flying. Whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. If you do draw a card for each of that spell's colors, and then when it dies, it deals X damage to any target where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. Okay, let's talk about this card quite a bit. I think it's very good. You know, 4-4 flyer for 4, fine enough. Very good relevant abilities. It at least does something when it dies, right? And if it dies right away, fine. You get to ping something. Not great, but it's something, right? Uh, I like to uh, compare this to a little bit. I think this is going to be kind of the new uh, Experimental Frenzy. In, the, in these red decks where this is going to top off, this will probably be one of the last spells they play from their hand. They probably won't have much left. And like even if you're in a mono red deck, right, and you don't have any more spells left in your hand or you're casting the last spell in your hand, you can discard the land that you have left over or whatever is left. You don't have to discard a card to draw a card. So you're going to be able to like kind of cycle through your deck very quickly. I think this card's going to be very, very good. It's going to be harder to remove. It's going to, you know, bounce around the damage-related spells most likely because it looks like two and three is the big number in this set. And then if you're playing this in a multicolored deck, like let's say green-red, 
green, red, white, like whatever, two or three. At that point, once it's now is a shock or a bolt when it leaves, that is a relevant thing either to your opponent's face or killing one of their creatures or finishing off one of their planeswalkers. So all of these uh, things can become very relevant. The only reason I don't have this higher on my list is I think that, A, there is a there is a chance that the fact that Ezekiel Chariot is so good in standard that it might see less play because of that, and we'll see more play of it down the line, and I don't see it as a, like, a multi-format all-star, but I think that this card has a chance to be very format-warping in standard. I think it has a chance to be in like multiple decks and very good. Um, I am high on this card. I like it quite a bit. I'm not as high as you are. Uh, I, think it's, I, I think it's good. Yeah, yeah I, I do think it's a good card. I think the the... One of the reasons this card hasn't really gotten a lot of hype is because it, um, when you read it, it, uh, you kind of get led off track of what this card is actually doing because all of the, uh, all of the abilities point you towards multicolor decks because that's how you maximize the abilities of the card. But I think that first ability, which is the real juicy part of the card, this is the sort of mind moil. Uh, I think that was that. It's like the Odyssey Enchantment that does something similar. Sure. I might be off on the name, but... Uh, sure, whatever. It's that first ability that's really juicy. I think in an aggressive red deck, it's perfectly fine to just draw one card. Like, your hands are, are uh, low, and, it, you know, you don't have to... You're just, you know, trying to churn through your deck. You're empty-handed. Suddenly, every spell you draw draws an extra card, right? Uh, and you can start chaining through your deck, just like you said, uh, similar to Experimental Frenzy. So, I like that comparison, I actually think the presence of Ezekiel's Chariot makes this card even better for okay. red, for red decks that are uh, that aren't as burn heavy, um, and it actually fits fine in burn heavy red decks too, right? Because you just get to keep drawing more burn spells. Uh, but in particular, in creature heavy decks, having a big flyer against Ezekiel's Chariot is going to be really important. So being able to go over the top of those Ezekiel's Chariot decks and go Moonvale Regent into maybe uh, Goldsman Dragon and have that air presence to finish them off uh, is going to be a really good way to go about it, especially now that you don't have Embercleave, which was your previous way to you know power through blockers. So you're, I think the 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 presence of um, of Ezekiel's Chariot makes flying a lot more valuable. And, you know, I'm not that concerned about the last ability. You know, when it dies, you get to ping something for one in your monocolored deck. I'm happy with just those first two abilities, four mana, four, four flyer, that lets me tear through my deck if I get to untap with it. So I view this as a curve topper in red aggressive decks, but I think it's very, very good in that role. I don't necessarily see it in some of the other decks uh, that you see it in. in Do you think they'll play it in blue-red dragons? Um, no, I think Galazeth will be better in those decks because they want to be able to play Galazeth and either consider or play with fire once they get the treasure and just double spell and get up to Alrin's Epiphanies and, and do more powerful stuff. I think they're, they're, they're playing on the mana. Um, and they're going to have more cards in their hands, so they're not going to be able to use Moon. It's, the trick is like, you need to empty your hand quickly to make use of that ability. And so that's what points makes it an aggressive card to me. And that the main reason I don't see it in other aggressive decks is that I just, I just don't think multicolor aggressive decks in standard really work, um, uh, with the exception of, of Gruul, because they have mana fixing um, from the like Jesper Sentinels of, of the world, and the Gruul deck will want to play Azika's Chariot. Um, so I, I see this as just another card that bolsters the mono red deck, but it's not a card that I've seen anyone else really talk about, and I think it's really, really good at what it does. Yeah, I think this card jumps off the page. It's a very powerful mythic, and... 
I don't know if it's going to end up coming up to that in uh, standard or whatever, but like I would love to see this card in play when I flash flashback a card from my graveyard. You know, I'm out of cards or whatever. So I'm like, play my, play my land for turn, flashback a card, draw a card or two. You know, like that would be really sweet. Especially with like, if we get flashback in the next set too. I played a uh, mono red aggro deck on versus yesterday and I saw another synergy with it. And, it, and that's with Conspiracy Theorist. Do you remember that card from Strixhaven? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. So for those who don't remember, Conspiracy Theorist is a one or red 2-2. Two, two. Whenever it attacks, you can pay one. Uh, if you do discard a card, you may discard a card. If you do discard a card, draw a card. And whenever you discard a card, not just a, that ability, but whenever you discard a card, uh, we actually on versus missed the interaction with Corey's Elder Fang Disciple. <laughs> like I literally had a mana up and just discarded a different card and then EOT play with fire the Elder Dis- Elder Fang Disciple. And I could have just discarded the play with fire, exiled it to Conspiracy Theorist and killed it and just yeah. not lost a card at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's whenever you discard a card, discard one or more cards, it says, uh, you may exile a non-land card from among them, and until the end of this turn, you can play that card. So with Moonvale Region, like, you get to pick one of the non-land cards you discard to its trigger and exile it and play that and cast. It says cast. You can't play lands off of it. Um, so th- there were there was a bunch of conspiracy theorist synergies I had, like the the, re- the vampire one drop. You know, that says if, if they've been dealt damage this turn, you can pay two mana, discard a card, and sack a vampire to draw two. You know, so Conspiracy Theorist is is one of my cards that's rising in the ranks of, you know, potentially could have could have just gotten a lot better and could be the other mm-hmm. two drop for red decks. But, but Moonvale Region, I think, is just, it's unbelievably good in that role. Yeah. And so I think that was, this was like one of the higher, like, variance cards on my list. But let's talk about higher cards on your list. What's your number three? My number three is another red card, but this time not getting very aggressive. This is a control card through and through, and that is Smoldering Egg. I'm going to interrupt you for two seconds here. Yeah. I didn't even see this card, so I'm actually reading this for the first time I'm reading with you, and I have a feeling I might have missed one, so go ahead. <laughs> so this is a one and a red, zero four. It is a dragon egg. It has defender. It says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a number of ember counters on Smoldering Egg equal to the amount of mana spent to cast that spell. That's important. We'll get to that. Then if Smoldering Egg has seven or more Ember counters on it, remove them and transform Smoldering Egg. The reverse side is Ashmouth Dragon. It's a 4-4 dragon with flying. And it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Ashmouth Dragon deals two damage to any target. So this is just Thing in the Egg? Yes. That is the affectionate term for it right now. I love um, it. So I think they are... While they are easily comparable because they look very similar, I think they're very different cards. Thing in the Ice is a very proactive card. Uh, pairs well with a very cheap cantrip so that you spend the minimum amount of mana to get the four ice counters to transform it. Here, you actually want to play it with more expensive spells, right? So Because you need to spend mana to get up to those counters. And that means I think it plays better in a in a control shell. Um, I played it in an it deck yesterday. Sort of it Dragons, basically. Um, and my goal was to curve Smoldering Egg into Prismari Command into uh, uh, Memory Deluge. And so that's three mana spell, four mana spell. That's your seven counters immediately transform. And this obviously plays really well with flashback spells. Yes. Um, so the, the cool thing about that curve is that ideally you like kill a creature and make a treasure. And then when you Deluge, you have that treasure still, and you've transformed Ashmouth Dragon, and then you dig for Consider or Play with Fire, and you get to immediately trigger the Ashmouth Dragon with a one-mana spell and get a shock. Um, I did that against Corey in the very first game I played. 
Um, I, I had the two, three, four curve. I didn't make the treasure with it. I had a dig to find the four mana spell. So I, I, I was shock plus loot with the Prismari command. But I did get to transform the Ashmouth or the Smoldering Egg in combat while blocking a creature and eat the creature in combat. Um, so that Wait, was pretty that, cool. Does that, does that work? When oh, you block yeah. The Smoldering Egg and it transforms in the other one, it's still blocking? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, I definitely missed one. This would be really high on my yeah. list, but so okay, like, good. I just uh, didn't know this card existed. This card's great. So, like, Memory Dell, you obviously the uh, the flashback, you're paying seven, you immediately transform. Um, the, I'm glad that they actually worded it this way instead of mana value, because otherwise I think it might just be broken with Dig Through Time in formats where that's legal. Uh, but now you can't, like, cast two mana Dig Through Time and transform it and <laughs> obliterate your opponent. Um, the, the other card that it goes incredibly well with uh, and I know I found this out while playing with it is Shatter Skull Smashing. Like, oh yeah, this is another absolutely. card that you can just easily immediately transform with it and have this four four dragon. It is a dragon for dragon's rage. So once it's transformed, it, it pumps your dragon's rage to a four damage spell. Um, That's a good point. It, it I w- I wasn't sure on this card when it was previewed. I've only played with it the one time. It was incredibly impressive when I played with it. So I'm. Uh, I'm I might be getting a little ahead of myself putting this at number three, but I was super impressed from seeing it. I think I think it's pretty narrow in its role, kind of like um, the the Dragon Moonvale Regent, but like Moonvale Regent, I think it's incredibly good in that role. And the, the reason that I ended up bumping it as high on my list as I did, um, as opposed to you know putting it maybe fifth or sixth, is I actually think it's really difficult to kill, like the the yeah. red. The, it's a dragon on the front side too, even though it's just an egg. So you can't power word kill it. All the red removal doesn't hit it. It's really kind of Blood Chief's thirst that gets it, um, and the white removal is pretty good against it because even on the reverse side, it's it's mana value is two. So yeah. Skyclave Apparition is pretty good against, is quite good against it. Um, that said, I think white took a pretty big hit. I think there's a lot of good white three drops and some good white twos. I think there's basically only one good white one drop right now, and it's Usher of the Fallen. And the other good white one drops are all ones that want you to play a ton of them, like Code Spell Cleric and Monk of the whatever that goes with the Gideon that all want, and like they go with Clarion Spirit, want you to play all cheap spells and play multiple spells in a turn. So maybe there's a white deck that does stuff like that, but I don't think there's like the snow aggro deck that existed in the previous format. I think Giant Killer was a big part of that deck, bigger than people realize, um, along with, um, you know, just having more good one drops. So, I think Smoldering Egg ends up being a just a difficult card to kill in this standard environment, and it defends against all the other two drops. You know, it blocks Werewolf Pack Leader, it blocks Reckless Stormseeker. I think that fourth point of toughness just matches up really, really well against what's going on in the rest of the standard format. Now, obviously, over time, things will adjust. Like, if Smoldering Egg is everywhere, people will find removal spells to kill it. They'll start playing Blood Chiefs, there's some, and Black decks, and... Uh, you know, they'll they'll do it. But I think this is a card that has the potential to force the metagame to evolve to beat it. Because if you can't, it's pretty easy to transform. And once you do, it just fucks people up. <laughs> Look, it might force the metagame to beat it. It's going to force me to play this damn card, period. I love this <laughs> kind of shit. This is totally my shit. So I'm playing the hell out of this card. All right, so that was your number three. Did we do my number three? We did my number three was Memory Daily. So we've already talked about that quite a bit. So we can kind of gloss over yeah. that. I think the card's great. I'm sorry. That no, no. That was my number five. What's my number? Th- my number three. I'm sorry. My number three is blood, uh, bloodthirsty adversary. And yeah, I like this card a lot. The reason I have it this high is I think it's going to be very, very, very impactful in standard and in more than one deck. Right? Like you're not going to see this just in the mono red decks. I think if 
there's other kinds of spell-based decks like the one we were just talking about. You might see a couple copies in it just because it's such a good card and has, you know, different roles in different matchups. Like, even against the aggressive decks, you can, like, play it on turn two to trade or on turn five, you, like, play it as a 3-3 blocker plus, like, kill your other thing, like, cast Magic Missile like you were talking about, cast whatever, put some counters on your damn wall to flip your wall over into a uh, into a dragon, all that kind of stuff. So I think this card is really good, really Actually, flexible. it's not going to put any counters on your wall because it's about mana, mana spent to cast it. Because you didn't spend mana, yeah. I figured it out as soon as I was saying I was like, oh, no. But uh, but still, it, it still works well with that kind of deck. Yeah. I can even see this being a sideboard card in some you know decks that you wouldn't really expect to see it in to where you can kind of like tilt your deck more aggressively uh, after sideboard and things like that. So I just think this card is very, very good. I think it's going to be one of the chase rares of the set. I'm not sure it has multi-format potential, and that's why it's a lot, little higher on my list because I love this card. I think it's very, very good. And normally, I would say in a uh, in like a Gruel Aggro deck with Burning Tree Emissary, but those decks are usually really light on spells. But maybe if you just have like a burn spell, a removal spell, and a Tarkus Command as your only spells, that's probably enough to play a couple copies. Like, can you imagine in your aggro deck when you've got, you know, two creatures to play because they've d- done some interacting and you get to your fifth land, your opponent's like pretty happy, they think you're flooding, and you just cast this card for five mana and flashback in a Tarkus command? Yeah. I, yeah, maybe. I, I can see it. Maybe. All right, we're going to move on to the number twos. Uh, my number two is uh, something we've already talked about, just like yours. My number two is the Shock. It's play with fire. Uh, the main reason I have it this high, we kind of talked about this, is while I think this is going to be very good in standard, there's a chance you don't see it a ton. But if you see this card getting played less in standard, it's because it was too good for itself, right? Like you made it to where one drops and two drops weren't heavily, or, or things that have two toughness weren't heavily playable because of the presence of cards like this. Right. Like people started playing. Good thing we haven't had an oppressive two damage burn spell right. in standard for a while. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you'd maybe see people playing like you get what I'm saying. You'd see people playing around this card more, playing stuff with a little higher toughness, maybe. You know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But Playing Tainted Adversary as their two-drop instead of something yeah. else. But the reason this is so high for me is not only do I think it's good in Standard, I think it's good in pretty much every format that's not Legacy and Vintage. Like, it's going to be good in Pioneer. It's going to be good in Historic. I think it's going to possibly show up in Modern. Like, you and I talked about this. This might be good enough for Burn. You know, because, like, if it, it kills all the creatures you want to actually trade a card for in Modern, like, it kills Dragon Race Chandler, it kills Ragavan, right? It kills Scavenging Goose, I guess, technically, uh, if they haven't done anything with it. But... When you're hitting them in the face with it, that scry one is worth so much in the games where you're just trying to race that I think this card is very, very, very good. And you're going to see how much better just tacking, you know, possible scry one onto shock makes this card. I think this card is like bananas. And your number two is a card that we've already talked about as well, right? Yeah, my, my two is Reckless Stormseeker, uh, which you had earlier on your list. Like, uh, you know, your remarks about Bloodthirsty Adversary, I do think Stormseeker has potential in older formats than Standard, um, namely Pioneer and Historic. It's not a modern playable, but I- I'm excited at the prospect of casting this on turn two after playing a mana creature on turn one in those formats. And I think, it, you know, we talked about it earlier, I think it's just incredible in Standard. So uh, I had it higher. I think we just kind of like flip-flopped on Stormseeker and Adversary, right? You know, mm-hmm. two very good red aggressive creatures uh, you know, both certainly have potential for non-standard formats, but we're kind of reversed at just where yeah. we think that potential lies. Absolutely. And before we get into our number ones, we got to do the the TV show thing. We got to, you know, we got to oh, yeah. we got to build the suspense. 
What do you want to do? Do you want to do underrated or overrated first? Well, let's do underrated first. We'll start okay. with the optimistic side. What's your underrated? My underrated is a card that made your list. That is Moonvale Regent. Uh, you know, definitely one of the honorable mentions for my list. And like I said, I really like this card. And it really just, I haven't seen anyone talking about it at all. And for a Mythic Rare that I think is going to see play, that's pretty surprising to me. So um, I think it was, it was an easy choice for my underrated card of the set for that reason. Uh, and I really do think it's going to play a big role in in getting red decks back into the format. And I, I'm kind of expecting people to think like, you know, red wasn't good pre-rotation. It's losing a lot of the cards that we've come to identify with red decks in, in recent standard. You know, it's losing Annex, it's losing Torbrin, it's losing Embercleave, it's losing um, is that, is, uh, Fervent Champion. Is that one even still? That, yeah, that one's still in. Yeah. I so it's lo- it's losing I'm, that. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's losing... Um, uh, Robber of the Rich, that was an Eldraine card. So, like, basically all of the cards that we've come to identify with red decks are leaving, but I think the cards it's gaining are huge, and it's a huge gainer from the removal of, Love, of Lovestruck Beast uh, and the Great Henge and even Bonecrusher Giant, which it played but was just such an incredible card against aggressive decks uh, that I think on the balance, it, you know, red aggressive players would prefer that card not exist. Yeah. Uh, it was better for other decks than it was for for itself. So I think that the gains of Bloodthirsty Adversary, of Reckless Stormseeker, Play with Fire, Moonvale Regent, um, you know, all really, really good additions. And they're not even the, the end of it. I think Flame Channeler could be good in a more burn-focused list. Um, I I feel like there's one I'm missing, but I'm not sure. But that there's, there's just a lot of potential here for red decks. So Moonvale Regent should be able to easily find a home and be very good in that home. And I'm really surprised that we haven't seen more people talk about it. Yeah, the underrated card for me, and I feel it's weird saying underrated because I've seen some people think this card is bonkers, and that's Fateful Absence. This is a one and a white for an instant. It says destroy target creature or planeswalker. Its controller investigates. The fact that it hits controllers, I'm sorry, creatures or planeswalkers while being an instant is kind of insane for two mana. Yeah, they get to investigate, but like you're probably pairing this with like some kind of aggressive deck. Like I could see you possibly playing this in a control deck, but don't really want to two for one yourself too much, you know, giving, cause like you're giving them time to also use the clue to like dig through the deck and maybe find more, more, but maybe just like the efficientness of like two mana destroy this or that might be too good depending on what those decks look like. But if there's like a white based or a white included aggressive deck in standard, I can see this card showing up in some main decks or even some sideboards for certain matchups where you just want this, like, catch-all answer because it's really good when you're, like, curving out and you're attacking and you can leave up mana to kind of, like, you know, not commit another threat to the board to play around, like, their sweeper. And then since you didn't commit in the board, they're like, all right, well, now I'll play this creature because you always see them sideboard creatures or, like, I'll play this Planeswalker now because, like, I have time to do it. And you're like, well, okay, two mana, kill that thing, instant speed on tap, like, continue my plan kind of thing. So I think this card's pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you too. I think on the balance, it's, it's underrated, though I think we've seen opinions that range on both sides for this card. Right. Um, to unplayable to this card's bananas. Yeah, and I, I really don't understand the extreme views of it because I just think it's solid. You know, when it comes when it comes down to it, the idea that you win games in Magic in 2021 by not giving up or gaining yourself these marginal two-for-ones and just kind of collecting enough of them to come out ahead of your opponent that is kind of nonsense. Like, that's how Magic was played in maybe 1998. 
<laughs> um, and, and it's just not the way things happen now because the cards individually are more powerful and they're able to win games on in on different axes or individual cards are able to generate multiple cards of advantage. Um, and so when it comes to removal spells, I'm usually looking for versatility and mana efficiency. And this card has those things. Um, it, you know, it destroys a wide range of permanents and it only costs two mana. So I'm happy to play it when I need to kill those things. That said, I'm not ha- the card has the investigate portion of it means it has high diminishing returns. I don't want to be playing four of this card and draw three in a game because now I've suddenly given up three cards of card advantage and that's a lot. So the, the, it does add up once you start playing multiple copies, but I think the first and second copy of this card is really good in a lot of decks. And I think in particular, this is the kind of effect that an Azorius control deck usually doesn't have access to. Oftentimes their removal is only towards creatures or it's expensive, it's enchantment-based so they can blow it up and undo your your removal so it's unreliable, or it's sorcery speed because it's an enchantment and then you can't effectively hold up your counter spells. I actually do think this is a card that helps out control decks in small numbers because it gives them, you know, an instant speed removal spell to kill your opponent's creature land that would otherwise like require you to put Field of Ruin in your mana base in high numbers and maybe make your deck less consistent. Or it kills that Planeswalker that your opponent snuck through because, you know, they side in a cheap Planeswalker. Or it stops your control opponent who, you know, has some Planeswalkers, so you're keeping this in your deck to deal with those from bringing in a cheap creature that can take over the game. That's a juke plan that people do in Control Mirrors. They used to do it with, like, Azure Mage. Um, so, like, now you're prepared for that, and you stop that juke. So it does a lot of little things that I think are relevant. It's not going to be, a you know, a premium removal spell that you're putting four of in your deck, except maybe in aggressive decks. You know, deck and stone saw play in a lot of aggressive decks. So I could see it there, too, uh, which is another reason I think the card is just solid. But I compare it a lot to Infernal Grasp, also from the set, the black removal spell that's two mana, instant, destroy a creature, you lose two life. You know, I think that's a great card in small numbers. It rounds out your removal suite so that, you know, you have your your core removal spells, so you're prepared to deal with the key threats. But now you have this one or two removal spells that make sure you're prepared for the randomness that occurs when your opponent is bringing a rogue strategy or something you didn't expect to play against, and you can still end up being prepared for it. So... That, that's the role that this is like the the last couple removal spells in my removal package and i think you know the versatility and man efficiency make it a really good choice for that role and i expect it to see significant play so i'm in the this card is pretty good but it's certainly not bonkers you know i think people went overboard with like assassin's trophy when that was previewed but that card has seen some play you know which yeah, it shows absolutely and I think Fateful Absence, you know, compares pretty favorably with that card as well. It's a similar kind of effect, a little bit less versatile, but also only in one color, um, and, and probably a little bit better to cast early against aggressive decks, to be honest. So, yeah, I think that's another good choice for underrated. Though, uh, um, honestly, from depending on who you're talking to, it could also be overrated. Mm-hmm. All right, what do we have next? Uh, overrated, and I'm Tannen. You might want to you might want to leave the room and let me do this segment myself. I don't I don't yeah. know if you want to hear this. Go ahead, we're just no longer friends, whatever this is going. It's it's Delver of Secrets. Yeah, I mean like the card is not very good. <laughs> well, like, Standard. And it, I I <laughs> I was I was initially surprised with when this got previewed during an episode of Versus. And, and Rob so Rob told us look Delver of Secrets is being reprinted and both Corey and I kind of shrugged. Right? And it and might this be is, more important for non-standard, but go ahead. 
I mean, this is this is coming from someone who played. I played Azuris Delver in Standard for right. I think eight months straight. <laughs> I played it from like the end of January until it rotated in the fall, so maybe nine months. Right. The game is very very different since my, then, my, like especially the creature curve. Yeah, yeah. My, my very that was my first year grinding the SCG Tour. It was 2012. I made four top eights. I was one of, I think, seven people to hit the highest level in the Players Club, which got you two buys at Invitationals. Back then, the buys were Invitationals, not at Opens. And uh, it was my standard deck. I played it and Green White Maverick week in and week out on the SAG Tour for literally oh, so wait, nine months. So you're saying that you have some kind of uh, attachment to Delver. It's almost <laughs> like your magic identity. Please tell me more. Well, I'm saying Delver and Standard. Explain it. Yes, yeah, so no, explain uh, it to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, tell uh, me uh, all about it. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> Delver has you know, never shown up in Modern. It is a very good card in Legacy, though it kind it of was, gotten pushed out recently. It was good recently. in Modern years and years and years ago. Yes, yeah, the very beginnings of Modern, there was good. that. It wasn't great. It was it was uh, Jessica Delver. I, there was a Grixis Delver list, too, that was good. I won, like, multiple PTQs with it. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, it was not... It was... I, People just didn't know how to play against it or sure. to beat it at the time. Um, so when you talk about Delver and Standard, I know, I've i seen it. I've played it. I, I know that deck very well. And I've seen it, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing about that deck is it existed in a very unique time and had a lot of very unique tools. It had access to a lot of cheap cantrips. You're a very unique tool, Ross. <laughs> Boom, you. got him. But, you know, they had Ponder, Thought Scour, and Gitaxian Probe in that standard format. Yeah. So you had 12 excellent cantrips. Mana Leak. Mm, Yeah. You had a better two-mana counterspell than exists in standard or probably ever will exist in standard again. You had had Gutshot, which doesn't sound like much, but was actually the premier removal spell in that format, except for maybe Vapor Snag. Um, So, like, those cheap... Incredibly cheap spells ended up matching up really well against the rest of the format, um, which doesn't happen as often now. You know, if you you think about playing an Is It Delver deck in Standard and you have Play With Fire, yeah, you have a good one-mana removal spell, and then your opponent plays Werewolf Pack Leader, and, you know, now you're shit out of luck. Um, You had Snapcaster Mage, you know, one of the best cards probably in the history of Standard, (laughs) you know, uh, at least best, like, non-banned cards, I guess. And I think in 2021, a card from Delver would have been banned. In, in fact, maybe multiple cards, uh, the way they cultivate the ban list now. Uh, then you had uh, Geist of St. Traft, this incredible aggressive threat that was near impossible to answer. There's not really analogs for these cards in current standard. And for those people that weren't around back then, because we're talking almost 10 years ago now, you know, Delver Secrets wasn't just in standard for that one year. It had two years of life in standard because it was released in a fall set. It was completely unplayable during the following year. And I remember after rotation, there was so much hype around Delver because it was dominating legacy and it had dominated standard. Everyone tried to build Delver decks after that rotation. They're like, we still have Snapcaster Mage. We still have yada, yada, yada. I don't know exactly what stayed and what didn't, but everybody thought they would have enough. You just find different spells and Delver secrets would carry you. And they found out very quickly that that was not the case. And what you've got to realize is that it's not it's not Delver of Secrets that is the powerful card in all of these decks. Delver of Secrets is just the best, you know, complementary piece to the Ponders of the world, to the Dazes of the world, the Force of Wills, uh, all of these cards that you see it in successful Delver decks to the Mana Leaks. Delver of Secrets was just the best complement. And if you don't have that incredible wealth of cheap, efficient disruption and cantrips in order to make the deck work then Delver of Secrets isn't going to work because it's not going to carry the deck by itself. 
So uh, while I think there's some interesting space to play with with Delver of Secrets because of double-faced cards, so but the, the reason you used to need a ton of cantrips is because you needed the low land count in order to have enough threats and enough spells to consistently flip it, right? Now, with so many of your lands doubling as spells, uh, or spells doubling as lands, however you want to look at it, you can effectively have a high land count and have a high spell count at the same time. You take some hit, you have more tapped lands, you deal yourself more damage if you play the, the mythic double face cards. Um, but, you know, those are good cards. They're fine to have in your deck. So I actually think there could be, like, a control deck that just randomly has Delvers as, like, you know, you get to play the... the if your draw comes together, you get to play the aggro control role. And late in the game, like in the mid game, you just get to play your Delver and hold up interaction and have your threat down without needing to tap out. So maybe there's like an, is it dragons deck that wants to play Delver of secrets? But honestly, like I think that's just still just worse than playing smoldering egg and having a better defensive card in the early turns of the game, because there really isn't the tools to play the aggro control game. Maybe we get them over the next, you know, six, nine months, Maybe we get them next year and, and Delver get, gets you know, new life into it. But I got to tell you, like those times when you have a tempo-oriented deck in standard are few and far between, which is why I cherish them when they come up. You know, we had Fairies, we had Blue-Eyed Delver, and we had like Mono Blue Curious Obsession. And that's kind of it. <laughs> uh, I guess like Simic Flash kind of counts too. But those decks eventually became sort of mid-range decks anyway. Like, eventually they all had Nissa in them, and they were kind of quasi-ramp decks. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but like Delver of Secrets I don't think is going to be a good standard card uh, because the tools don't exist. And if you think about playing it in, like, Historic or Pioneer, where you have more cantrips and a bigger card pool to draw from, I think you're going to run into the same problem that you run into in Modern where people are just prepared to deal with cheap creatures because there's more of those around and you don't have to have it. You don't, you're not playing things like days and force of will as your disruption because you don't have those and you don't have anything close to comparable to them. And so it ends up just being like a, an okay one drop that often just dies and forces you to warp your deck in order to play it. And you're better off playing other cards. So sorry to burst everyone's bubble. I like, I was initially like really surprised. I've never really like, because I I thought this was like pretty well established because of Delver's Secrets repeated failures in Modern, despite the wealth of cantrips that have been available in that format. You know, Delver and Taxing Probe existed in Modern for many years, duh, and a ton of other things, and it just never ever did anything. And I thought that you know became clear that like it wasn't Delver's Secrets that's been carrying the card in Legacy for years. It's Force of Will, Brainstorm, Days, and Wasteland. And shouldn't that be obvious? Those cards are fucking busted. <laughs> but apparently it's not. A, how dare you? <laughs> B, B, how dare you? <laughs> B, I agree with you completely. Yeah. So, yeah I mean, you you know too. Like, Delver is no, just I'm, like, it's, it's yeah, just... I got, the Look, I loved it. I, my Twitter blew up that day, right? My Twitter my, and all my DMs and all the social media sites blew up that day. I loved it, but bruh, this ain't it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna do what we want it to do. I, you you talked a lot enough on it. That's fine. My, um, my, my over, so hold on. My, oh, just one more thing about it is Good we've God, we've now okay. played it twice on versus Corey and I have both tried a deck with it. Um, it has failed pretty miserably both times. But the funniest moment. Um, was when he cast it uh, on the draw. 
play dead on turn one. My turn one play was Shambling Ghast, and I attacked for one, like presented the trade, and he's like, no, don't want to take that trade. I'm like, okay, take one, second main, village rides my Shambling Ghast, kill your Delver. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't, like, that That happens so much more often than it does in Legacy, because they just have their four bolts and, like, their one forked bolt or whatever, uh, and it, 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 people have, you know, 12 removal spells in their deck in all of these other formats, so... You know, and and then there are the games where your opponent plays Jasper Sentinel and your Delver doesn't flip for three turns and you just look like a doofus. Yep. All right. So for me, my overrated card is let me make sure I get the name of this right. Ren and seven. Not Ren and Six, but Ren and yeah, Seven. Ren and Six is not overrated. That card's Yeah, positive. that one's that <laughs> one's probably one of the more underrated cards of all time. Alright, anyway, Ren and Seven for three green green, you get a five loyalty planeswalker, it's a Ren. Uh, it has four abilities, so plus one, reveal the top four cards of your library, put all land cards revealed this way into your hand, and the rest of your graveyard, so mulch. Uh, zero, put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. That seems like an ability that's not going to, unless you do something weird, it's not going to come up much because you're it's a five mana card. Minus three, create a green tree folk creature token with reach, and this creature's power, toughness, are equal to the number of lands you control. Okay. And then minus eight, return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. I can see someone playing this in like Commander or something maybe, but this needs a very specific home for this to be like good and playable in Standard, and I don't see it in other formats. Yeah, I completely agree that this is a card that needs a specific home. I agree it's not really playable in older formats. I do think it's good in that home. I don't see where that home is right now. There's some interesting things in how it plays with Azika's Chariot, where like you get to play your Chariot next turn you play Ren, you make a Tree Folk, you crew the Chariot, you copy the Tree Folk, and now you've got two pretty big creatures. That's that's cool, but honestly, I'd just rather play like Goldspan Dragon in my five slot, uh, or like a curve all the way up to Tovalar's Huntmaster. Uh, I got something that is you know, yeah. I've talked about other cards synergizing with Azika's Chariot, so I may sound hypocritical here, but when it comes to five mana spells. I'm, you know, let me phrase this how I want to. The more mana I'm spending on a card, the less I want to rely on its synergy with other cards to make it good. The more of a yeah, standalone it has to be. Yeah. So when I'm talking about Reckless Stormseeker as a three drop synergizing with Chariot, that's a whole di- different ball game than a five drop, even though they both curve on the other side of Ezekiel's Chariot. Um, I, I've played, I've done some good things with this card. I played it in a ramp deck, but the ramp, the deck as a whole like, just didn't seem good enough because coma as powerful as that card is like honestly it just wasn't really good enough to consistently take over games and still is very vulnerable to burning hands as this card is um you know it you if you plus one you get some lands and your opponent's burning hands tempos you out and you're only up some lands maybe you got some value putting something in the graveyard with like flashback or um disturb or something uh and if you make a tree folk they're just gonna burning hands the tree folk and then attack your ren and seven uh, and they only need you know two power on the battlefield in order to do that. So I, I don't like the weakness to Burning Hands. I don't see a great shell for it, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if like something pops up during its time in Standard. But I agree, it needs it's a very specific kind of shell because it doesn't really run away with a game if left unchecked. At least it doesn't do it that quickly, and it doesn't like have a huge immediate impact. It just kind of like makes a pretty big creature. And so uh, I'm with you. Like, I, I think this card is fine, but ultimately there's just going to be better things to do with your five mana in m- most any deck. Absolutely. So I think it's about time that we move on and 
show our number one card, which you and I actually agree on yet again. We do this a lot. Yeah, we, find. we we usually overlap by like maybe four cards in the eight card list, but the overlaps usually tend towards the higher part. It's, yeah. it's usually like the seventh and eighth cards are where we're like, and, oh, you put that card on? Oh, interesting. I think but, this one... Yeah, I think this one's pretty simple, right? It's just the fact that you and I think that this is going to be a player in not only standard, but practically every format down to Legacy. And we think that it is going to be a pretty big player in a lot of decks because it's just a big improvement, plus the card is very powerful, and that card is Consider. And for everybody at home, it's a one blue mana instant. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that library, you may put that <laughs> card into your graveyard. So surveil one, draw a card. Now, this is a pretty big upgrade in a lot of spots to Opt. Plus, in formats where Opt is legal, this is another copy of Opt for your deck. So if you're trying to get, you know, Phoenixes from your graveyard into play, you're trying to flip your thing in the ice, uh, you're trying to surveil in Modern along with Dragon Rage Channeler, this helps you get, uh, you know, all those different card types in your graveyard a lot faster. This is going to be really relevant and standard if you're, if you're trying to do any of the things or spells that matter, if you're trying to filter your hand it's also pretty damn good with flashback too, Ross. Yeah, uh, you know, can generate value with flashback cards. It, uh, you know, uh, there's every deck tends to use the graveyard in some small way. So it's it's an opt with significant upside, like you said. And you know, we started this as as the Pioneer podcast, right? And if you go back and listen to some of those early episodes, um, I think we did one on cards we'd like to see added to the format. I think this was in the early days, like probably one of our first five or ten episodes. I think we did an episode about this. And we talked about, and we both agreed, we didn't want to see more cheap cantrips. Because, and the way, and this is the way it's played out, you know, Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise, which were completely busted in modern, um, have been pretty balanced. And more the more cheap cantrips you put, the more likelihood that those cards just end up being busted. And this is not only a good a cheap cantrip, you know, it's better than op, it's better than the one that currently exists. It is also one that particularly enables delve. So to, in my eyes, like I am now worried that dig through time and treasure cruise are going to be banned in the next year or so in pioneer. And I think the only thing that delays that is a few, uh, few eyes on the format because of a delayed return to, you know, paper play because nobody puts a fucking mask on. So <laughs> there, there's that, that's the biggest thing that motivates us to number one. I think this is a card that could get other cards banned. And I don't think that's true of any other card in the set. Um, I don't think it's a huge player in standard. Um, you know, it's pretty good in some certain cases. I think the, is it dragons decks are probably going to want it. It's a nice card to cast off of the treasure with Galazeth Prismari. It's, you know, good at putting some flashback cards in the graveyard to get some marginal value, but these cards are usually, you know, not as good in standard as, as you would want, as you might think they are, given how good cheap spells are in older formats, because they're usually not subsidizing, you know, other really powerful cards. There's no dig through times and treasure cruises for them to really break uh, in a typical standard environment. But there's certainly still a place for it because they're solid cards with really high floor. And I also think it has a home in modern. And we were talking about this even before we started recording, you know. One of the most popular and successful decks in modern right now is the is it mid-range or is it Merktide deck? You know, surveilling cards in your graveyard for Delve for Merktide, very good. And also, I think this is a significant upgrade to Serum Visions, which not all lists of the deck play, but some do. Um, and it, that may be uh, 
a little bit controversial. Uh, maybe it probably shouldn't be because they all play like four opt, but they they almost never play you know four serum visions if they do play any. And the main thing is that it's an instant, and you're a deck that plays counterspell and archmage's charm, and so it makes it much easier to hold up your counterspells and still cast your cantrip if you you know have no reason to play the counterspell, cast the counterspell if you need to, so you maintain optionality that way, um, and, and that's really important. So th- there's that's three different formats where the card should see play, and one of them where I think it could be format defining. You know, is it Phoenix has recently become a major player in Pioneer? I've never really quite understood why, because it doesn't seem like it's gotten any upgrades, but I think it just, the metagame shifted in a favorable way for it. I think at this point, I, I wouldn't, I'm I'm not going to say I'll be surprised if it's not the best deck, but I won't at all be surprised if it is. And I'm, I might be regret not going even further. I think with eight cantrips and four treasure crews, like there's just such incredible potential here. So, um, you know, yeah, I've been on I've been on record saying that if Thought Scour was in those formats, those cards would be banned. And this yeah. is very, very close to Thought Scour. Yeah, it's it's a better cantrip, but a little bit worse of a delve enabler. So like kind of a wash there, to be honest. So yeah, I, I won't be surprised if they're banned at all. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say about comparing it with Serum Visions. Um, you know, I think most people when they evaluate cantrips, they just look at the total number of cards you you see. Right, and they see serum visions. You know, draw one, scry two. You you see three cards, and then consider or opt is you know, scry or surveil one, draw one. You only see two cards. So seeing three cards better than seeing two cards, but that's not necessarily true. And I go over this in detail in an article I wrote a few years ago. It's actually right after I won Baltimore with Is It Phoenix. I wrote an entire article about how to play your cantrips because it was such an important part of playing the deck, uh, and uh, you know, ordering them and di- different the the subtle differences between them all. And there's a second aspect of cantrips that you need to use to evaluate them, and it's how many cards do you see before the draw and how many cards do you see after? Because cards you see before are significantly more valuable. Now, that value is variable. It's not nearly as valuable in the early game or on any turn where you're tapping out. But it's much more valuable when you have mana left over after the cantrip, which generally happens in the late game. And that's because you get to find the card you need to cast immediately. So Serum Visions, I think unsurprisingly to people, is at its best as a turn one play, right? You usually don't have to react to much. You can take the time to just set up your draws for the next couple of turns, find that land drop you need, find that piece of interaction you need, maybe even protect your turn two threat, you know, leave that Tarmogoyf on the top so they can't thought seize it, things like that. Um, but opt and now consider uh, and things like that, where you look at the cards beforehand, end up being significantly better in the late game. And they're even, you know, generally better anytime you have enough mana to reasonably play a spell. So in like modern legacy, if you just have one mana left over, seeing the cards before the cantrip is super relevant. You could find that Dragon's Rage Channel, that Ragavan, that Lightning Bolt, uh, uh, that Thoughtseize that could all change the course of the game by casting it one turn earlier. So, you know, even straight up, just uh, discount, even ignoring the fact that one is an instant, one is a sorcery. I don't even think it's you know uh, completely obvious that Serum Visions is better than Consider in Modern, but certainly in any deck with counterspells, uh, it's much better. And I also wrote an article about why Opt was better than Serum Visions back in the day in in Blue Moon when people thought I was crazy. So I've written a lot about cantrips apparently, <laughs> and uh, so I, I have some very strong opinions there. But Consider just seems. Um, you know, might not have the standard impact of a lot of the other cards on this list, but 
it has so much more potential in in Pioneer and even Modern that I think it was a pretty easy number one. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I think it's the safest pick as well, right? On our list, like we kind of cop out here, but like, yeah, I just think it's a very safe, very powerful pick. I think the card's great. Like you said, multi-format all-star. I, I'm I'm big on this card. I think it's going to be great. I, wouldn't, I, I don't great think it's going to be a multi-format all-star. I think it'll be an all-star in Pioneer, and I think it'll yeah. be a player in other formats. And I think it might be a multi-format all-star. Yeah. We'll see. So I'm, I'm, I'm even a little lower than you on it, but still number one on my list. I think it's possible. I think it, I think you get at least one, right? Yeah. I, I think it's busted in Pioneer. Look, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried. Like, people were just starting to get a little bit excited about Pioneer again, and I was excited for that and just try to see the format return. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we get Paper Magic in in full back maybe sometime next year. Um, and, you know, Pioneer could really be a major player if the SCG Tour returns and things like that. And I was excited to, you know, dive into the format again. And I'm worried that if we have another, you know, six months of it being dominated by a single deck, people might not, people really might give up on it entirely. That said, is it Phoenix is usually a pretty popular kind of deck, you know, as creatures and removal spells and, and cantrips. So there's a lot of decisions and there's a lot of ways that you can interact with them. So even if the deck is really, really good, it usually, it's not as off-putting as having things like Inverter and Lotus Field be the best decks in your format that are really aggravating to play against because it feels kind of helpless. Um, but just having a, a warped metagame like that could really be... Um, could really be bad for the format so I, I hope if it comes out strong that they act pretty aggressively in, in getting rid of treasure cruise and or dig through time because the, those are definitely going to be okay. the the broken cards that occur yeah and like that's gonna be unfortunate i like the fact that they were playable in that format and like not oppressive they were kind of like where they should be they're just very very good magic cards yeah it was like dig through and, time back in standard like it was one of the better cards in standard right uh, I that's think what it, they wanted, you know, yeah. that's fine. You know, uh, and that, so. and Treasure Cruise was a, wasn't even like an all-star in standard. It was solid. I think it's at its best in the Jeskai Ascendancy token stack, and it was super fun. I enjoyed playing it. But yeah, I'm 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 worried at this point. So there were a lot of like honorable mention cards for me uh today that didn't make the list. Cards like Teferi Who Slows the Sunset, by the way, amazing name. Arlen Packs Hope, you know, Sagarda, the champion of light, like lots of cards. Um I actually Depending on how the format goes, I think Sacred Fire could be one. The one, you know, the two mana, two damage, uh, Lightning Helix with Flashback could be a card that could be played in some format and stuff like that. And there's a there's a there's a bunch of other cards in the set. This is kind of what I feel like happens a lot with the Innistrad sets. Is yeah, while there's a few standouts, the cards get kind of deep. You know, yeah. like you start putting Flashback on a lot of stuff and stuff. Inner, you know, starts working with the graveyard. There's there's synergistic cards as well. You know, there's a lot of cards like that that didn't make it. There's a uh, there's a one drop two one vampire that didn't make it on either one of our lists that I thought had a chance to make it on, and it could be a player in standard, depending on what comes out of the next set. And there's a bunch of other role playing cards in here too that I think are going to be very good, or just maybe some cards that we missed that are just going to be you know big time four ofs like uh, Tovar's Huntmaster. You know, the thing that's like kind of like a it's yeah, kind, kind of, of grave like titan. Yeah, it's kind of grave titan. Yeah, yeah, kind of and like that card is just like. If there is some kind of, you know, rampy green deck that, you know, makes a bunch of mana and just needs the big bodies that isn't playing blue, so you're not playing the serpent or whatever, this is like your big creature that's going to end the game. Yeah, and we kind of we saw towards the end of this uh, standard season the that combo of Jesper Sentinel and Magda 
as the base of the of the Gruel decks by the end because of the power of that man acceleration. If you have if you curve those two cards on one and two, you get six mana on turn three. <laughs> yeah. I, I think turn three Tovalar's Huntmaster sounds like a pretty good play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know I about you. you. And so um I'm actually like really tired and super hungry. I was gonna do a little bit of overrated underrated, but I think our next show might be lacking a little bit because we're gonna be talking about like early stuff from this set. You know, the it comes out tomorrow on Magic Online and on Arena. I'm going to play a bunch of drafts with it. Hopefully the set is really sweet because I'll just draft the shit out of it. My stream might even make a, rec- a recovery tomorrow. We'll see. I'm going to click the buttons. I'm going <laughs> to turn the camera on. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. You know, that kind of stuff. We'll see. I, you know, the last set I did not like very much. I did not stream very much. But if I like this one, expect a lot of streaming because I'm really bored right now. And I'm reinvigorated to not leave my house after the last few weeks and seeing people and being out in public and stuff. So, um super into that but i'm actually not feeling super great so i was gonna say let's just go ahead and like slow down the show and go ahead and start to end it here i would be remiss if i didn't mention our sponsor that's barrister and man man with two ends make sure you check out all their products lots of great stuff going on there i saw somebody on twitter the other day tweeting at barrister man their their order and they got a lot of minty stuff so i think they're going to really enjoy that at this hot time of year because i mean the temperature is ridiculous even now you know i was in vegas over the weekend where it was like 100 degrees and that nice burst of mint when you're in the shower. I think I told you about this. It like you can tell it's working, right? Like it was like that fresh burst of mint like all over your body when you're taking the shower. You smell good, which is a big, big step. The mint the right one direction. I like in the morning. It like helps you wake up. Wake That's, up. That yeah. smell of mint is, is sort of invigorating. So that's yep. a that's a good morning one for me. I am gonna remind, I say this every now and then, I'm gonna remind you, uh, single guys and girls out there, one of the easiest ways to make whomever you're interested in interested in you is to is to like be hygienic smell good look good feel good it's one of the easiest ways to to be attractive for the uh for the opposite uh whatever you're into kind of stuff so make sure you check out all their stuff really great stuff over there i'm obsessed with all their shaving stuff as ross always hears me talk about but i just can't get enough of it i actually look forward to shaving now and uh knowing that i'm not gonna end up with bumps my skin's gonna be really smooth afterwards and I'm going to just feel great. It's the best shave I've ever had in my life. So make sure you check out all their stuff on barristerandman.com and use the code MTGRANTS for 15% off at uh, checkout. Ross, if people wanted to hear some more about you, where would they go? Uh, best place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. Uh, there you can you know keep abreast of all of my magic comings and goings, content stuff, um, and a good place to ask me questions uh, really about anything uh, if you already follow me, it was also a good place to potentially get your decklist featured on uh, Versus Live because tomorrow's show, which uh, the VOD will be out by the time y'all are listening to this, um, is a team battle where Corey and I take viewer submitted decklists, and uh, some of you end up on Team Ross, some on Team Corey, and we see who comes out on top. So uh, something we do every set release and occasionally in between as well. So uh, another perk you get from following me on Twitter. Then there is Versus Live. Uh, if you don't know about it, it's the web show I do twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We are on the Star City Games Twitch channel, which is just Star City Games, uh, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, playing whatever is relevant for competitive magic. So we've been playing with Innistrad Midnight Hunt cards for uh, two weeks now, and we will continue to do, to do so even after the set is released. Um, during preview season, we tend to focus on standard, and afterwards we'll start to uh, you know see its effect on older formats. So if you're a pioneer, a modern, historic fan, uh, those will probably be coming up in the next couple weeks. 
we do uh, encourage you to tune in live because we take questions straight from the audience. So it's a great place to get some interaction, get your questions answered immediately, watch some really fun magic. We have a great time with it. But if you can't catch us live, which is understandable, we're in the middle of the afternoon and uh, you still want to watch, you can find the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Those get uploaded the day after the live show, so Wednesday and Friday, respectively, usually by the end of the business day. Then there are my articles. Like I said, this week's is all about the combo of Azekas Chariot and Briarbridge Tracker, which I think is going to be a major player in a lot of different decks in Standard. Um, so I've got, you know, a mono green aggressive list. I've got a gruel aggressive list and I have a Jund mid range list, uh, that you, you know, really uses Magda Jespera Sentinel to help fix the mana. Corey played a Naya mid range list that came from Brad, uh, from his most recent article. So, um, also had Briarbridge Tracker and Chariot. So if you're interested in exploring those cards and a lot of, you know, green aggressive and mid range shells, uh, that'll be a good article for you. That one is up now. And then my stream, I know I promise, I didn't promise, but I was hoping by the end of August, I've been sidetracked with some other things and now I'm kind of busy with softball, but I do promise the stream is coming back soon. Uh, you know, you just have to be flexible on what soon means. Uh, and if you want to drop me a follow uh, in the meantime, so you get notifications when I do return, I am uh, just Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Uh, so Tannen, people want to find out more about you, find out when you're going to come back streaming, maybe figure out when you're going to be casting more flesh and blood events, because apparently the creator of the game loves you and you're going to become a flesh and blood celebrity. And we're going to have to rebrand the podcast again. Where might <laughs> they find that? Uh, you can find me mostly on Twitter under the Tannen Grace. Lots of stuff going on there. Um, there is a VOD from this weekend if you wanted to go check out some Flesh and Blood. Though, if you don't know how to play the game, you might want to watch the, one of the How Do You Play the Game videos <laughs> before you do it. We don't really go into uh, the small minutiae of the game. Um, my stream is just Tannen Grace. It's not the Tannen Grace, and that'll be on Twitch. And there's a very good chance that I turn my stream on for the first time in a while tomorrow. And if I like this set, which it looks like I'm going to, I should be I should be drafting it a lot. And generally, I turn on the stream for about half of my drafts, if not more. And with how much I draft, that's still a lot. So uh, make sure you want to check it out there. But uh, for everybody listening at home, thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Hopefully you enjoyed this Top 8 episode. I know Ross and I put in quite a bit of work hopefully bringing you some cool stuff even though i just completely missed a card in this one that i, I you know i think it got previewed like after i did a lot of my work for this you know because i try to put in as much of this before trying to do this thing over the weekend and i've just been super busy lately and i just somehow missed that card yeah so, I don't, it was I don't definitely know a little, it was later in previous season i don't know exactly how late it was but i would say it was definitely in the back mm -hmm. half but uh, make sure that you let us know anywhere where you can get a hold of us, even on Twitter or whatever, what you think we got right, what you think we got wrong. And make sure you hold us to our picks, too. A few months from now, you know, something's like, if Renan 7 is busting up the format, make sure you let me know that I said it wasn't very good. Remind me. Let me know that what we did was right, what we did wrong. But next week, look forward to us talking uh, with some experience about how uh, the new Innistrad set is. And I can't wait to do so. So until next week, we'll see you all later.